Hey, Rethink Retail listeners. Have you heard about Retail's Golden Ticket event? On April 26th, Rethink Retail is heading to London, England to attend the Retail Technology Show, where Europe's leading retailers and tech providers will gather under one roof to explore the very best in retail innovation. The Retail Technology Show is a must-visit for retail and hospitality organizations that are looking for the right tools, the right solutions, and sound advice on how to run their businesses more effectively, more efficiently, and more profitably in a way that results in seamless multi-channel operations and enhanced customer experience. And better yet, you can get a free golden ticket to this event by registering at RetailTechnologyShow.com slash RethinkRetail. That's RetailTechnologyShow.com slash RethinkRetail. Welcome to Rethink Retail, the show where we dive into the stories and strategies behind some of the most successful brands on the planet. From brick and mortar giants to e-commerce disruptors, we uncover the secrets to their success and deliver the keys to true retail transformation. So ask yourself, are you ready to rethink retail? The future of retail starts now. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Rethink Retail podcast. My name is Melissa Minko, Director of Retail Strategy at CINT, and I'm your host for today. Joining me for the conversation, I have Jonathan Johnson. Jonathan is the CEO of Overstock, a leading online home furnishings retailer. Since assuming this role in 2019, Jonathan has positioned Overstock as more than just an e-commerce website, streamlining its widespread merchandising interests into a concentrated focused strategy dedicated to providing dream homes for all. Jonathan is a member of Overstock's board of directors and has been an integral part of the company's growth from a startup to being publicly traded with over $3 billion in sales and nearly 2,000 employees. Overstock was recognized as one of the nation's top employers in 2021. And since joining Overstock in 2002, Jonathan has held various positions within the company, including chairman of the board, executive vice president, or sorry, executive vice chairman, president, and general counsel. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. Well, Melissa, thank you. What a kind introduction. It sounds like I'm applying for a job, but I love the job that I have. So thank you for that nice introduction. Yeah, hopefully you're not going anywhere anytime soon because you've done a lot. (laughs) So speaking of which, can we start with you telling us a bit about your professional background and your journey to becoming the CEO of Overstock.com? Sure. I'm a lawyer by training and I joined Overstock over 20 years ago as the company's first general counsel. I was the legal department of one. And I always tell people for career advice, don't be a department of one. It makes <laughs> taking time off really hard. Yeah. I hadn't been with Overstock very long where I volunteered for a business project uh, that was fairly successful, morphed from being in the legal department to holding a lot of different business roles over the years. In 20, 2008, I became the president of Overstock, a position I held for about five years. I then took a little bit of time off from the day-to-day, and as you mentioned, I was on the board of directors as I ran for political office, and candidly and frankly, it was nice to have lost. And after that, I came back to the day-to-day at Overstock, running our investment 
arm that was investing in technology companies. When our founder left a little over three and a half years ago, uh, the board appointed me the CEO, and the company was struggling at that time, uh, and it was a little bit of a challenge, but it was a challenge that uh, was exciting to be deciding to take on and to have good colleagues to work with on. So that's kind of my history at Overstock. That's fantastic and definitely a bit of an unconventional career trajectory for a CEO. I'm pretty sure. Very cool. I didn't realize you had that background in, in law first. That's fascinating. I also love that you mentioned that you were overseeing the investments in tech companies. I know there are a lot of retailers really interested in that nowadays. So it's cool to hear that Overstock was one of the pioneers taking that type of a strategy. Yeah, we, we really uh, were kind of early adopters of blockchain technology, just like Back in 99, we were fairly early adopters with e-commerce. And so back in uh, 2016, maybe 15, we began investing in companies that were utilizing blockchain technology. And I ran that arm of our business for quite some time. That's awesome. Do you mind sharing a little bit more on that blockchain technology path and, and what that's kind of looked like at Overstock or how Overstock has been using that? Sure. You know, we began this journey when we became the first large retailer to accept Bitcoin uh, as a payment method. And that was in January of 2014. And we really did that for two reasons. One was we wanted to make it easy for customers to buy product from us, no matter how they wanted to spend. But two, and more importantly, so that we could get our developers more familiar with Bitcoin's underlying technology, blockchain technology. We then began investing in what turned out to be 21 different companies using blockchain technology and everywhere from capital markets to supply chain to digital currency, land titling. Nothing that really impacted Overstock's retail business in its day-to-day figuring that they would grow and, and be good investments and, you know, might actually become larger than Overstock at some point. When I became the CEO of Overstock, we really had two different arms. We had our retail business, Overstock.com, and this investment business, which we were running under the title of Medici Ventures. We I decided, along with the Overstock board, that we would take those technology businesses and put them under the control of a venture capital firm to manage them and get them to bigger and better companies. That's what venture capital firms do with technology companies. So we really outsourced that part of the business. And for the past three years, have really just been focusing on Overstock's e-commerce business as we've morphed it from a general retailer someone that's focused on furniture and home furnishings all the time. That is so cool. You were really ahead of the curve. I, I mean, 2014 was a long time ago to be interested in Bitcoin. So that's really cool. You also just gave me the perfect segue because my next question was around the recent decision to focus its entire website on home furnishings at Overstock. So just wondering if you could walk us through that decision-making process and any challenges you faced during that whole 18-month journey. Yeah. So when I became uh, the CEO of Overstock, about 80% of our revenue was coming from our home business, furniture and home furnishings. And shifting to 100% home 
was not an easy decision. Turning off 20% of your revenue is something that no one likes to do. Yeah. It was, though, an important strategic change and really the right decision for the business long term. Our home customers have a higher repeat visit rate. They have better loyalty and a bigger basket size than the shoppers of our non-home categories did. So we were becoming a top home space retailer, and we knew that's what we needed to become. It would make it easier for us to bring on more home suppliers who weren't as eager to have their products next to apparel or jewelry and watches or beauty products. When we became a home-only retailer, we could add many more products. And the pandemic really helped consumers gain comfort ordering furniture online, which helped overstock gain market share in the home space. And our suppliers, or we call them partners, those vendors, had worked with us for years, for years, really saw growth as we concentrated on home. So that that shift was difficult, mm-hmm. strategic, and we really think the right thing to do. And since then, we've been able to acquire, acquire hundreds of new supplier partners and millions of new products in the home space as more and more of our partner vendors have, have benefited from this business model. That makes a lot of sense, expanding that breadth and that depth in one category and really specializing. So you mentioned repeat and loyalty, and those are definitely you know hot buzzwords in the retail space. I'm curious what loyalty looks like at Overstock for furniture buyers. Yeah, so we have a number of things that we do to enhance loyalty. One is we've become much more focused in the past two plus years on on focusing on the home as a marketing piece. So marketing exactly who we are. Overstock is a well-known brand, but it's not as closely tied to home as we'd like it to be. So, you know, focusing on our, our vision on making dream homes come true has really meant to emphasize our purpose and inspire our employees, our partners and our customers. We've also launched a new home-centric focus with branding campaign. We, Toward the end of last year, we launched a new commercial called Come On, Get Comfy, and we partnered with six different brand ambassadors to try and create more loyalty in the social media world. And that's been important as we've seen more and more customers going from being website purchasers to mobile purchasers, and in particular, mobile app purchasers. And so we've spent a lot of time improving our app because it increases loyalty. And then we also have what we call our Club O program, which is a loyalty-focused program with exclusive benefits like free returns for in-store credit, different deals we offer to them, free shipping on everything. And most recently, we've launched a new co-branded credit card where we partnered with City Retail Services. And this credit card gives 5% back of Club O rewards. It gives 3% back on purchases at selected apparel and department stores. And then 
1% or 2% back, depending on the different places on all purchases. So that's been a real loyalty driver to create more stickiness to our site. That's great. And during a time of so much change, how did you make sure that you were staying competitive then on the product side during this transition? Well, that's that was really hard, in part because it happened during the pandemic when the supply chain was so constrained. And then kind of in this post-pandemic period where the supply chain has actually had a glut of home products. And so for us, there's really been two things that have helped. One is our smart value offering. Overstock's committed to giving our customers what we call smart value or high quality products at an affordable price. This means if a customer is willing to spend $300 on a sofa, they're going to get the best quality sofa for $300 by shopping on Overstock. If they're willing to spend $3,000 on a sofa, we've got the best quality sofa for that. So it's it's really value for the dollars they're willing to spend. The other thing that's helped us remain competitive is the benefits of our asset light business model. We don't own inventory. We have about 3,000 different supplier partners who supply us inventory. And so during the pandemic and the supply chain constraints that happened, if one supplier was out, another usually had something very similar to it. So we didn't suffer the kind of difficulty finding inventory that a lot of the brick and mortar stores did. And then post pandemic, when brick and mortars had a glut of inventory and were liquidating it at a loss, we were able to work with our partners, maintain our margins and still provide great products to our customers. So our asset light business model has really had a benefit to make sure we've had good products at a smart value at all times. That's really smart. That makes a lot of sense. And I would imagine that that value proposition around value is key during these inflationary times as well. Well, you know, we saw back in the Great Recession 2008 to 2010 that our value proposition, smart value, really resonated with our customers. And we're seeing that again today. Customers are being more careful with their wallets and purses. And so when they spend, they want to make sure they're getting the value that we are able to provide. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's great. So you've mentioned quite a few of the marketing and advertising efforts. And among those, you alluded to the ambassador program. Is there any more detail you want to share on that? I think it's such a cool effort. You know, Overstock was a little late to game in the social media space. So when we partnered last year with six, what I would say, high-profile home-centric brand ambassadors that have expertise in interior design, home renovation, decorating, and remodeling, they've really helped us with a demographic and in a marketing channel where we weren't as strong. And they have helped create a unique content for us that shows consumers and our customers how Overstock can help them make their dream homes come true on any budget. And so the 20 million followers that these six brand ambassadors have had has been great. We've also started an influencer campaign, which is not quite 
you know, it's people that are influencers and they love Overstock, maybe not quite with the breadth of reach of our brand ambassadors, but still strong reach. And that's really helped quite a bit. That's very exciting. And then you also talked about the app and how you've put a lot of time and energy into developing the app as well. Is there anything more you want to share on that too? You know, the app is a great loyalty tool. It gives a chance for our customers to talk to us and for us to push special deals to our customers. A lot of times before a big event like President's Day most recently and Memorial Day coming up, we will push out special deals pre-event to our people that have downloaded the app. So it's it's won some nice awards. It's an iOS and an Android app. It's really been a nice tool for us to creatively talk to our customers and have them talk back to us. Mm-hmm. I, I love thinking about that as a two-way communication tool. That's great. So what were some of the biggest lessons then that you've learned during this transition, both as a CEO and as a company? Well, I'd I'd like to kind of focus this question on the 2020 to 2022 three-year period that was the pandemic and the post-pandemic, because that's when, as a whole, we had a lot of significant learnings. We we learned that industry-wide, online shopping in the home space is migrating from brick and mortar to home. And we needed to be prepared for to make products easy to find and for the shopping experience to have easy delivery and great customer support. We also needed to figure out how to deal with bottlenecks in the supply chain. And like I said, our asset light model has worked well there. And so we think those things really distinguished us from our peers. We also learned that focus is critical. When I became CEO three and a half years ago, we had more than 20 strategic projects for the year. Having 20 was like having none. It was too unfocused. And so we were unfocused, we were losing money, we were losing market share. And, you know, we were at risk of going out of business. Coming into 2020, we had four initiatives. The next year, we had two. Last year, we had one. This year, we have two. Deciding what we do best Mm -hmm. and which customers we're trying to serve has really been important for us. And then a third thing I would say we've learned is the importance of an intentional culture. Uh, we have something called our We Are Overstock culture, and it's allowing each person to be themselves. We say, be you, be your authentic self. We talk about doing good in the community. We talk about knowing your numbers and making decisions based on data. That's a very intentional culture that we work hard to nourish and flourish in a purposeful way. And I think that's been something that's helped us grow over the last three years. Yeah. And I bet that translates to the customers too, and really empowers them to be themselves when they're designing their homes too, and and buying your furniture. I think absolutely. And one of the things as part of our culture is to have a clear vision, you know, making dream homes come true. That's what our employees think about. It's what our our suppliers think about. And of course, it's what our customers think about. And we're all thinking about the same thing, 
we get on the same page and we find success. Yeah, for sure. And you also mentioned uh, customer service and, and customer support. Would you mind sharing a little bit more about what customer service looks like at Overstock and how that's been a, a winning strategy? Yeah, so one of the ways that we first start uh, our customer service is improving product findability on the site. If you come and you know what you're looking for, and often you know, we view one of our primary customer demographics as someone we call the savvy shopper. She knows what she wants, but she wants a deal. She's willing to shop everywhere. When she comes to Overstock, that product has to be easy to find. And so we've spent a lot of time making our internal search better, making it easier to find Overstock from Google and other outside search engines. And then we spend a lot of time on easy delivery and support. So once you've made a purchase on Overstock, if we say it's coming next Wednesday, it better come next Wednesday. You don't want it next Thursday. And frankly, you don't even want it next Tuesday, a day early. You want it when it's promised. And, and then if there's anything that's problematic with us, you know, you're going to want us to help you solve that problem. And so we have automated customer support where you can solve the problem yourself. Or we have people you can call and talk to that will help you solve it. Different customers like different ways to solve the problem. We want to be there for them no matter which way they like solving the problem. That's great. Yeah, that emphasis on findability, I think, is especially relevant in this chat GPT era where AI is really, you know, assisting a lot of consumers nowadays. I think that's also kind of upping the expectation consumers have on just search capabilities in general. So that's well, you know, you you mentioned chat GPT and the new AI products that are coming out, that's really helped us with product findability. We can upload a picture, have it populate a description, look at our description versus the chat GPT or other AI description and improve ours to make products more findable by the search engines and findable by our internal search engine. That is so cool. You really are a very collaborative retailer. Everything I'm hearing from you is all about kind of collaborating, not only with your employees, but also with the customer. I think that's fantastic. That's great. You know, one of the things that's part of my background as a lawyer, and I wasn't a litigator where it's a zero-sum game, win or lose. I was a deal lawyer where we're always trying to create win-win situations is to bring a win-win attitude where overstock and our customer, our overstock, and our supplier, all three of us, the supplier needs to be making money, we need to be making money, but the customer needs a good deal. Mm -hmm. And th those three things aren't mutually exclusive. All right. three of them can happen if we collaborate and work in the right way together. Yeah, I love that. That's great. And I really liked your emphasis on certainty too with product delivery. Uh, that's been a big one for me as I'm buying furniture for my home. I always want to make sure that it's arriving a day that I'll be home and not early and certainly not late either if I'm having guests over and I, I need to be entertaining with that furniture. So. Well, Melissa, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you you fit with what our research shows. And, you know, <laughs> I think a lot of retailers in the furniture space are thinking about speed is most important. And we think about accuracy. If you're buying toilet paper or toothpaste, 
you want it this afternoon or tomorrow, speed is important. But if it's an area rug or patio furniture, getting it tomorrow or the next day is not as important as knowing exactly when it will come as long as you're fast enough. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So that's what's going on right now. How do you see the home furnishings industry evolving in the coming years and what role will Overstock play in that? Well, I think it's going to continue to migrate online. You know, I think when we look at two decades ago, no one thought people would buy books online. And today, if you buy a book at all, you buy it online. A decade ago, we didn't think people would buy clothes online because fit and color and style. Today, that's an online business. And I think part of what the pandemic was is it kind of hurried, sped up this migration of people being comfortable buying furniture and home furnishings online. So I think that will continue to happen, but it has to be a great shopping experience. And I think part of what will make it better in the future is it will become more immersive Mm -hmm. and more interactive. That may be through the metaverse or through AI or augmented reality. But when you think about today's websites, they're not that much different than a turn of the century Sears, and I'm talking about 20th century Sears catalog. Yes, they're digital and they're on a page, but we're still looking at a page with product on it. But I think it's going to become much more immersive and much more interactive in coming years. And that will help the furniture and home space immensely. Yeah, I'm excited for that. That will be very fun to watch. So last question for you. What do you see as the most important skills or qualities that a CEO needs to succeed in this industry? Well, first and foremost, customer, customer, customer. Every CEO in the retail business, and I think in the home furniture space in particular, needs to be customer focused. Mm -hmm. Second, you need to be fair. As I've talked about a win-win-win situation, we're not trying to gouge our customers. We're trying to provide smart value. We're not trying to gouge our suppliers. We want them to make money as we make money. Mm-hmm. The third thing I would say is good communication. Communication to shareholders, communication to customers, to suppliers, and of course, internally to your team so they know what's going on. And I think that really became a focus during the pandemic when we went from sitting shoulder to shoulder to at best being screen to screen as we were all remote, communication became important. And then lastly, I think it's really important for a CEO to be focused equally on two things, profits and market share growth. Those can't be mutually exclusive, particularly in the tough economic times that we're in. Companies that make a profit, that reinforce a strong balance sheet, while taking market share are the companies that are going to be around, you know, post-recession and long into the future. I think CEOs need to focus on both profits and growth. That's great advice. Thank you so much, Jonathan, for your time. I've loved talking to you. Melissa, likewise. It's, 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 it's not been an interview. It's been a conversation. You made it so easy. Good. I'm glad. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Rethink Retail podcast. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode 
And if you're interested in being a guest on the show, apply at rethink.industries slash podcast guest. That's rethink.industries slash podcast guest. Follow us on Twitter at rethink underscore retail and show some love by subscribing on iTunes podcast app. Until next time.